This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Dallas Cowboys. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined in the studio today by David Moore, who did not bring Zeke Elliott back from Cabo. However, he did bring Lyle Collins into the fold for the next five years. What in the heck is going on in these negotiations with the Cowboys? Well, clearly they value continuity in their offensive line because yeah. now uh, this current starting group, I believe, is under contract through 2023. So wow. four of the five. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Connor, Connor Williams is just on the yeah, second year of his deal. Right. So, but, but again, so then you control him after that. He yeah. can't go anywhere. True. So, yeah, this is uh, – but again, they're still – yeah, his rookie contract will pick up the fifth year no, he's second-round pick, so four years. Yeah, he yeah. has two years left. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a uh, this was surprising from the standpoint when you looked at cap allocation. You would you thought, and I believe most people thought that well, they've already invested so much in the offensive line. Uh, they've put sunk money into three Pro Bowlers there. You can't really can you really afford to sink money into a fourth or are you going to need to disperse it over the rest of the roster and so you know you have three pro bowlers out of five you just rotate those other two positions and for cap reasons and make it work so I think there was a sense that um, next year that Byron Jones and Lyle Collins both who would be uh, free agents there was a good chance neither would return right um so this ends ends that very quickly uh, yeah. i guess it puts the the target a little bit more on byron jones going forward wondering what's going to happen there but it tells you how they value the offensive line i think it sends a message that um you know people are always going to try to connect this to elliot and uh, they're still working on trying to get him in for the opener. And if that doesn't happen the next 24 hours, I question, as good as Elliot is, his ability to contribute in the opener if he's not here for yeah. practice on Wednesday since he has not practiced with the team since June 13th. Right. Uh, but, you know, now that you have four premier linemen locked in under contract – it does feed the narrative even more that, yeah, Elliot's a special back, but we can still have success even if Elliot is not here long term. But but again, you're going to get something done with. I I think this is just. I think primarily this message is we feel we have one of the best young cores in the league. We're doing everything we can to keep it together. These other guys are jumping in on it. Why aren't you? Is more the message than 
you know, any direct link to Elliot itself. Yeah. I, I just surprised by this. I just didn't see this coming at all. Uh, I just felt like they did. Especially I even, when you, you draft Connor McGovern this year. Yeah. Uh, you, you continue to spend second and third round picks on the offensive line. Right. Uh, you have really good depth there. But, um, you know, I, I think it goes back to this isn't all strictly a reaction to what happened in that Atlanta game on the first game of mm-hmm. Elliott's suspension when Tyron Smith couldn't play and they gave up eight sacks right. from the left tackle position. But it, it's it's there. The cautionary tale there is no matter how good you think a position of strength is, one injury can make it look right pretty average in a second. And we're not going to allow this offensive line to be average with one injury going forward. Yeah. We're going to have enough talent here to where we can work our way through it. Is there in any scenario you would see where, let's say, Tyron Smith has more back problems and and he's not able to live out his contract, where they're looking at this as insurance that Lyle could flip over to the left side? Well... I mean, what him, and then you also have the possibility of Connor Williams, you know, going back outside as well. You have mm-hmm. some flex in there uh, that is not preferred. Um, right. And and for all of the concerns about Tyron Smith and his back, which are legitimate because he's dealt with all of this, he's still playing at a level that makes him, if not the best left tackle in the league, among the top two or three. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- I think there's, I think how fragile Tyron Smith's health is has been a little overplayed in recent years when you look at the number of games he's played and the level at which he's played. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that being said, when you're managing a guy, and, and you know as they did a couple of years ago, basically he was only playing on game days. He wasn't right. practicing. Um, and, you know, usually, as, as people say, once you start to have back problems, they just don't go away. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's your ability to manage it and what level can you play, and will it become more crippling over time? And you would assume it would become more crippling over time, but um, until we actually see Tyron Smith miss uh, more than two games in a, two or three games in a season, I don't know. I I think it, this is just how you manage him, and there's no red flag on it's all about to come to an end. Yeah. Okay, uh, we, we kind of we filled in for the news of the day, but the news of the weekend uh, was that, oh, Zeke Elliott is about to be signed. It's all about to be done. And, uh, David, I'm just going to give a little inside information here for, for fans. You know how this kind of stuff works. I had written a column Friday for Sunday saying that, uh, well, that uh, uh, there were – they got to get him. They'll get him signed up before the New Orleans game, and probably before the Miami game, because you wouldn't want to go into New Orleans with him not having had played at all. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty much the gist of the whole column. And then that story came out on Saturday when I was in Arkansas uh, to go see uh, my my daughter's on the Palm Squad there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and by the way, just as an aside, there it's not going well for Chad Morris in not. Arkansas. Let me just say that when you beat Portland State by one touchdown, mm-hmm. not good, not. Good. Fans weren't happy with that Fans win. Huh? There, there was <laughs> smattered booing in the oh opener. My. In the opener, <laughs> you're getting smattered booing. That is oh. not a good sign. You know, that was not a good debut last year. I don't think it's going forward. We're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that on our college uh, podcast. But anyway, um, so I didn't have my laptop with me, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I brought it. I took it on the trip 
you know, because this might happen. But you didn't have it at the game. But I did not have it at the game. Why would you? Yeah, why would I have it at the game? And and so, David, I had to go sit in the car uh, and write it out longhand and then type it in with my thumbs. <laughs> you know, that is no fun. It's a good thing you have dispo- disposable thumbs. Disposable? <laughs> no, opposable. <laughs> not disposable. <laughs> opposable. Uh, you know, 750 words up with your thumbs, not good. Uh, I was really, I was really worn out after that. So anyway, and it completely changed the column. As it turns out, we could have left the column in there just fine. Well, and and you know, my point was, look, and and we've been. People are probably still going to, and the media will still declare victory if he's if he's signed and he practices tomorrow, saying, "Well, see, I told you so." Mm-hmm. But it's not going down to he gets in here on the final three practices to play in the first game, and it's like this was everybody's plan all along. We all should have known. No. There are some significant issues they're trying to work through here. And and my point was, look, they, yeah, talks did intensify over the weekend, and, and my understanding in talking to people is there's been progress made over the last – over the Labor Day weekend. But my old point was talks are intensifying – any talks would be intensifying because they hadn't spoken in two to three weeks. Yeah, not good. So any sort of discussion is intensifying, which is good because once you're starting to talk, at least you have a shot and, and of doing something. And and while there has been progress made, there's still serious structural differences in how they view what this contract should be, uh, from what I've been told as of earlier this morning. So that this whole, you know. Th- in a lot of ways, this is kind of a Rorschach test, I think, for fans. I mean, I think a lot of fans and, and I think some people in the media are coming. It's like, oh, well, he's their best player. Jerry's not going to let this season get underway without him being there. And I think others are going, well, he is their best player, but what is the value of a running back in today's league? And isn't this team as constructed, shouldn't it be? beat the Giants at home in the opener with or without Elliott. I mean, they've they've swept the Giants the last two years. Elliott's missed two of those games. He was suspended for one, and they sat him for the, the, the final game of the regular season last year. Dallas won both of those games. They're about to play Washington after that, where they've won five of six against Washington. One of those games Elliott didn't play. And then after that's Miami. At home. Does anyone think they can't beat the Dolphins at home without Elliott? So I mean, this is if you're if you're going to make a stand and, and there there are differences here, it now it's high risk for both sides. It's high risk for Elliott and it's high risk for the Cowboys. Right. But this I mean, if you're really resolved that what you're asking for is out of line and in giving it to you, we compromise or we're gonna to have to cut it short at some other positions going forward. Uh, and it has ramifications on how we deal with Prescott and Cooper here. Um, isn't this where you're going to hold the line at this point with a guy who has been out for, you know, um, again, June 13th was the last practice. Yeah, this is, I would say, I, I have to apologize to, to Jerry and Zeke. I said that I didn't think either one of them had the nerve to play a game of chicken. Uh, and went up right to the end, both yeah, of them. Yeah, they are, and uh, and I'm a little surprised. I I think uh, as you know, going back on that whole thing, you know what we have seen is that the holdouts have not worked 
generally speaking, for players. You know, uh, Le'Veon Bell held out for an entire season, and the, and the Steelers said, "Adios." Yeah. You know, we'll we'll see. And they and they did just fine without him. Uh, and Le'Veon Bell is, as we thought before, was one of the best backs in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe maybe the best back in the league all around. So uh, there were. Uh, so yeah, to your point about running backs. Uh, we have seen what can happen. We saw what happened last year against the Cowboys. It wasn't Todd Gurley who who killed the Cowboys in the playoffs. You know, it was a guy that uh, they brought in and Anderson, that's their backup. C.J. Anderson, yeah. they brought in the middle of the season, uh, and he just killed them behind what was last year probably the best offensive line in football. Yeah, and, which when you're asking why are they doubling down on? I mean, this is maybe that's it. Uh, now you, know. you can question how sound it is when you're when you're assigning or allocating money to positions across the board to continue to put that much in your offensive line. But, um, I mean, this Houston is, certainly said we need to put more in our line and went well, out and got time. I mean, it's, you no know, kidding. it's – there was There were some crazy things going on in Houston yeah, over, over the weekend. Uh, really making, making big trades, getting rid of guys, at bringing in guys. Uh, I, I'm interested to see how well Jadavia and Clowney plays without uh, – J.J. Uh, mm-hmm. Watt on the other side. Uh, we'll we'll see what he does. But the, then again, the Seahawks are pretty good about uh, finding guys to play on their defense. Uh, so uh, yeah, it, it's it's interesting uh, to see some of these moves and and uh, what's going to happen uh, with them. Uh, but let's go ahead and and, and move away from that. Uh, uh, and uh, and and so we're, we're we're talking about the Giants for the opener uh, this week. Uh, the Giants. Or have dismantled the team, but they're sticking with their quarterback, uh, which is really kind of at cross purposes, isn't it? Uh, if you're if you're really going to dismantle and you're going to you're playing for the future and you're sticking with your what? How old is Eli now? Thirty six. Yeah, thirty six, thirty seven. Uh, yeah. yeah, somewhere there. Uh, you know, and I and I have to tell you, I'm an I'm an Eli fan to a, to an extent. You know, I think that Eli gets dumped on more than any other quarterback in the league. He's won two Super Bowls. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, I think a lot of their problems have been in the past. Either they they didn't surround him with good people. Uh, he he didn't get any until they got Saquon Barkley and had a running back in four or five years. Mm-hmm. And their offensive offensive line hasn't been Nothing, any good. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what Daniel Jones could do in that. But I do feel like you know maybe if they just start with Eli and and uh, things really go south and they feel like that Daniel's come along well enough, maybe they maybe they make that move then. But for the opener. I would think they would do it sooner rather than later. Uh, But, yeah, it is odd there. I mean, when you're clearly rebuilding and you know – and you're not in a position to maximize it. If You know, if you were in a position to maximize it with Eli right now, you would say, oh, I get it. Sure. I I would like to see the young guy, and I would like to see you get on to the future. But, I mean, I get it. We can be a playoff team this year. We have a chance to win the division. Um, no one's putting the, the the Giants in that category, and so then you get into you, you want to be competitive, but it, you know it's a fine line there. I mean, clearly they feel a, a sense of obligation, and that Eli has earned his right to go out with his head up and right. and before what he's done for the franchise, and and there's something to be said for that, um, but you know. That happened with the Cowboys, too, when it was clear that their talent wasn't matching up to what the Super Bowl team was, and they were a team in decline. They stuck with some guys longer than they should have because of what those guys meant to the franchise and Mm -hmm. what they meant during the championship run. 
And then you look up and you went, you know what, we should have made a move here uh, two or three years ago at this position. And we really, as far as our future team and our fan base, we did them a disservice by showing that loyalty. Mm-hmm. And, and it's and it's, you know, it's a fine line. And it's very emotional because, you know, it's a business. But when you win a championship with somebody, then on the end of their career, to discard them or treat them like you would anyone else, I think even even people in a business setting have a difficult time doing because they just feel like, well, we, we owe you more than that. And, and I think you're seeing that with Eli. Well, no question about that. So, um, you know, when we, you were talking about contracts, and I was thinking about this, um, about the offensive line. That is Jerry's history, that he ties up – most of the money on on the offensive side of the ball. He he has always been willing to pay. He's always been willing to pay his stars one, uh, mm-hmm. but he's also found most of his stars on offense. Uh, even in in the Jimmy days, uh, they mixed in a lot of players. Uh, mixed the uh, the line the linebackers came and went. Uh, the defensive linemen kind of came and went. Uh, pretty much everybody did on on the defensive side of the ball, with a few exceptions. Exceptions, guys like uh, Darren Woodson, mm-hmm. who's played for a long time, uh, and even he came in later. So um, it, it's it's not really surprising to see him do this. On one level, it, it was surprising because I thought they they had pretty much made it clear that they were going to have to let one of these offensive linemen go. Yeah. Uh, but from the standpoint of well, if we really like this guy, then uh, then we are going to pay him. Uh, it, it's not so much. So going forward with this into this game. Let's say that Zeke is not going to be here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you feel like Tony Pollard will start that game. Start. I, I would expect to see – now, again, and I think they're fine doing that in the short term. But anyone who thinks that, that Pollard is going to step in as the primary back here, I, I think is delusional. I mean, the guy – do you know what – how many, how many carries did he average per game for his college career? That's what I was going to ask career. you. That was your stat that you brought up the other day, which which stunned me when I read this. 3.75 carries for his college that's career. A, that's a little under the average. A little under the average, For yes. most running backs. Holy cow. And I think if you look, if you go back and you look, too, at the um, – uh, again, he's a very good receiver out of the backfield. But I think even if you add those in – and you want to look at touches per game for his three-year college career at Memphis, it's six, maybe, six and a half touches a game. So what was that all about? Well, they he was part of Rotel. I mean, he was a return guy. He was your – he was kind of your, like, you know, the whole, what, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They used him a little bit on everything, a change-up. Um, but, again, he's an interesting change-up guy because he can run between the tackles. He's clearly shown that. I thought he looked really pre-season. good in the preseason. And he and and for a guy who's not used that much, I mean, he has such he showed such good patience running as well. I mean, it wasn't like just plunge into the line at North. South. I mean, it was actually okay. Let's wait here. I can buy a little bit of time here. And he really knows how to use his speed. And I think because he knows how fast he is, he's patient and he's and he's a physical guy. So it's yeah, it's he's a little really, bigger than what you think for a return. Yeah, guy. he's a two hundred pound running back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, all of that being said. He's not going to be if if you're going to give him 25 carries no. a game for three games. You're not going to he's going to you know you're not going to have him for what you really want him for. No, and what you want him for is to complement and to be in the backfield with Elliott, not to replace him. 
so they can say that when they say they're perfect, perfectly comfortable with him, it is for a game or two. It is not for a season. Right. And even then, I think what you're going to see is my my belief would be because of his his ability and speed to break it, he is going to start if if Elliott's not here. I would anticipate it would be like the the two series, one series rotation with Alfred Morris. That Pollard would be out there for a couple of series. Alfred Morris would be out there for a series, maybe two series. Then you go back. Mm-hmm. So Alfred Morris would be a significant part of this rotation. And I would think you would look up at the end of the game if Elliott doesn't play against the Giants. And my belief would be Pollard and, and Morris, as far as carries, would be pretty pretty close by the end of the game, pretty close to a split. How, how has uh, Morris looked? You know, he's looked – he hasn't gotten the time in the preseason games that Pollard has because they know what he has, right. you know, what he's done. But like any question, an older running back, you know, when does he when he falls off the table, does he have anything left? Right. Uh he still moves really well. Uh he looks good. Um he he passes the eye test. Uh but again, he did they were giving a lot of those carries to Pollard. And then so when he got in there, he was working a lot of times with like the third line, not the second line even. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and not the starters that were out there. So they feel good about where he is. He appears to be moving in some ways better than, than when he was here two years ago. And he said that he actually, um, he actually discovered he had his pelvis was tilted at a bad angle and he's been working on tilt that pelvis. yeah and he's uh he says his movements are actually freer now and he thinks it's uh um he's able to pivot better and uh well you know we'll see we'll we'll see if that's the case once they're in a game but uh they I, for short term they can get by with pollard and morris yeah so short term uh, with the with the, the receiving situation now uh there's a uh, so from I think fans will forget because Amari Cooper came out in the middle of last year. Uh, going into the first game last season, I believe the starting package there, at, uh, counting tight end, was Alan Hearns and Cole Beasley. Um, uh, Michael Gallup wasn't starting then, was he? He did. He, he started. Did. Yeah, he, he was starting yeah. game one. Mm-hmm. All right. So then Michael Gallup, and then the tight, the starting tight end. I believe maybe they even started two. Uh, maybe they two. came they out did. with jumbo package that time was. Was was it Blake Jarwin and? Uh... Yeah, well, they, you know, they started using Jarwin more as the season went on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Schultz was was a bit player for him early. They kind of emerged late in the year. True. So this is a really went from the start of last year to start of this year a completely different uh, set of receivers. So oh yeah. So you're going back to you know, you'll have Jason Witten back as the starting tight end. Uh, you have a new uh, slot receiver in Randall Cobb. Um, you have Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper together uh, as your primary receivers. Uh, that's that's quite a bit of difference there, uh, and, and in my estimation, a lot more talent uh, for sure. Dak Prescott to be working with. Sure. And, and what you did last year is we were talking about how it evolved at tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, Swaim. Uh, you know, Jeff Swain was your was your starting right. tight end, Jeff and, and he actually did, and he and he actually played well early and was a better receiver for them. I mean, he was primarily 
he was out there for most of the snaps for them early. His, yeah. uh, but as it's been throughout his career, injuries kind of caught up to him, and then that's when uh, Jarwin kind of went into his. But you know, we're talking. I Witten will start. I don't think there's any question. Um, but Jarwin, I don't believe is going to get lost in the shuffle. I, I think he's going to be a significant weapon for. Um, Dak Prescott this year. And you saw it in that New York game last year where he had three touchdown receptions right. and was the NFC Player of the Week. Um, I think I think Witten coming back just gives you the latitude even more to to use Jarwin as a weapon down the field, as, as a true down the field. Because now you have, um, you know, Witten being able to to get get you the, the crossing patterns underneath. You can right. send him deep. Uh, you know, and you can go with your three wides, and you'll have Cobb out there, and instead of um, Beasley, you'll have Gallup, who has been sensational in preseason, just looked really, really good, and thought he came on in the second half of last year and looked really good over those last four or five games. So, um, yeah, this is night and day from where they started. Uh, as far as uh, an explosive receiving core last year, it was not explosive last year. Yeah, I, I think in some ways, uh, and, and I've looked at this before, uh, because certainly when Des Bryant was in his prime, he was tremendous. Uh, but if you look at this group as a whole, uh, I think that Michael Gallup as a number two receiver, uh, you can go back to the days of Alvin Harper, I think, since since they've had a number two receiver who looks like he could be as big of a threat. Yeah, Terrence Williams had a good year. He did. A real, one really good year yeah. where it made you think that maybe, you know, maybe this is the Alvin Harper mm-hmm. sort of, you know, reincarnation. Um, but but Gallup, let's see, Gallup has shown something here in the in the second half of last season. If he continues, and, and it looks like he's built even more of a rapport with Dak. And, yeah. Uh, and you know he's he's the guy that he's connecting with on go routes down the field. He is. He's he's just. Uh, and you know I don't want to. Uh, we've all kind of taken shots at Terrence Williams, who did do a nice job for the most part. But he's just a different, not a physical receiver, not a. And you know he's fast, but 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 not a guy who I felt like uh, was is as dynamic. I, I believe that Michael Gallup has some dynamic uh, qualities to him as a receiver. Plus, he's a really smart guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, and I think a lot of times, you know, Terrence was a very uh, fragile guy in some ways, um, uh, mentally, not physically, but mentally. And, and just uh, his confidence level, I think, was always not what it needed to be. Because we need to keep his confidence up, and people had to tell him how good he was, and, and, and he would get down on himself yeah, very, and, very quickly. And that's just not good for a wide receiver. I mean, you just really. Not good for any professional well, athlete. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, yeah. Not good for anybody, but especially for a wide receiver. You just really have to have a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm. And, and and this and, and then you know if you move over to to uh, to the slot you know with uh, what Randall Cobb brings I don't want to minimize uh, Cole Beasley's uh, impact ever either I mean last year that catch against the Giants they don't win that game if he doesn't make a that spectacular catch. play uh, yeah. spectacular play but the yards after catch were just almost non-existent you know the the ability for people to punch the ball out on him uh, led him to just catch the ball and go down yeah uh, and 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 that's that's not a good thing, you know. Well, and he, he we're going to see this year, and, he, and he's constantly continuing to make comments coming out of Buffalo. But you know, he felt that he could have been used more vertically, mm-hmm. and that that would happen in the the off season, preseason, and then they didn't bring that element into the game. So the, he felt it limited him on what he could do. Mm-hmm. 
Now, Cobb's a little bit bigger. They've been going to him down the field a little bit more than they have Beasley. But again, it's preseason. We'll see, and we'll, we'll see yeah. how. Um, again, I, I think I think Jarwin's going to be a big. I think Gallup and Jarwin are going to be two big targets down the field, and and you work a lot of other stuff uh, horizontally and underneath. But um, Cobb is a little bigger. I think he doesn't get swallowed up behind corners when you go vertical. So yeah. I think there's a little bit more issue. of a target there. When you're going down um, for for Dak, we'll we'll see how they're used. Now I I will say, um, I I think Cobb potentially brings more elements to this offense than Beasley did. That being said, Beasley was out there constantly and didn't get hurt. Cobb has right. an injury history. Yeah. Um, so, you know, now I think they're – look, you can run Cooper out of the slot too. Right. Not that you want to make a living out of that, but he if, – if Cobb's out for a game or two, you just run Amari Cooper out of the slot more, and I don't think you're going to – to miss a whole lot because he's very comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, Coop. That's the other thing. A lot of people who were frustrated by, um, well, the, you know, this offense just isn't diverse enough. Why don't they move Des around? Why is he always at the X spot? Mm-hmm. Well, because he was good running routes out of the X spot and couldn't wasn't as good running routes out of the slot or the Y. Right. Cooper can run out of all three, and they're very comfortable with him out of all three. So. Are they going to? Is that going? Are they going to move him around more than they did Des? Yeah, because he knows all three spots, and he he's capable of producing from all three, and so that's going to create some different looks and, and mismatches, and 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 they're they're doing more motion. You'll see more motion. It's going to be really interesting in this Giants game. I, I think it'll be fairly noticeable to to fans the the differences in this offense. There, there'll be a lot more motion in it, pre snap motion. Um, you know, Travis Frederick, I was talking to him about that the other day. I said, well, you know, now that you're back, when do you just – are you just concerned with the defensive look? Is that is that what you're calling out to everyone on the line or how much do the offensive changes really impact, you know, the calls you make in a game? And he said, it impacts it a lot because we have so much motion now. Hmm. So we have to – I'm not just calling out what the defense is. I'm having to let – our guys know, okay, the motion's coming and this. But the defense is this way now, but we're about to have motion on this play, and then this guy's going to, you know, the, right. the, now suddenly the safety's going to be over here or the, you know, the, the linebacker, the, the middle linebacker is going to shade over this way because of the motion we're going to have. So it, he says it really is a, an extra layer of communication he has to have now with the offensive line because of the the changes they've made offensively. What do you think will have more impact on the offense? The uh, What I see is an upgrade, and certainly not at running back if Zeke's not playing, but in, at wide receiver and the return of Travis Frederick at center um, or the, the addition of Kellen Moore as the offensive play caller. I, I think the addition of, of Kellen Moore early is going to be significant because – no no defensive coordinator in the league is going to have any idea. They may know some of the things he's going to run and what the Cowboys like to run, but he doesn't know how he's going to get to them. Uh, defenses aren't going to know how Kellen Moore is going to set these plays up or uh, or what misdirection he's going to use and still get to that play. So 
the fact that no one if if Kellen Moore is as smart as everyone says he is and has this innate feel for offense and calling plays and seeing what works against a defense, I think it's going to be even heightened early before defensive coordinators get an idea of his tendencies. Uh, I think the, you know, this team is still going to have some tendencies, but um, if your tendency is usually to run on first down 85% of the time, but suddenly in the first game, it's down to 65% of the time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a pretty significant change. And right. uh, so we'll, we'll see. I, I just think the, the no one knowing what Kellen Moore's tendencies are, how he calls a game and how he gets to things is really going to be a big advantage for them early in the season. Much like it was, you go back, uh, you can argue one of Linehan's greatest impacts on this offense was his first year here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other was Dak's first year here, yeah. where no one knew how he was going to use Dak. He didn't even have he didn't know how he was going to use Dak. No one planned on using Dak that year. Um, so I think the I think the this league is so heavily scouted and and tendencies are revealed that whenever you get that element of surprise, if you're executing well, it can really help you. And and go back, you know, Jason Garrett's best years as an offensive coordinator. Was his first year when he came in? Why was that? Because okay, he's using this talent differently than what it was used before. Yeah, that's an interesting point because uh, I was just think you know as we've discussed before, uh, they're not going to introduce a lot of new plays and no. doing a lot of different. They're, they're still going to be essentially sure. the same team. It's just uh, the question might be uh, their tendencies and and how often you know like as you said, uh, I don't know what their uh, you know percentages were on first down last year i don't know I, mm-hmm. I, yes they were pr- primarily running the ball i don't know if it was 85 percent, maybe it was 75 whatever but if you take that down 10 or 15 percent uh over what it was the year before uh then that is a significant difference uh and that does present uh more uh, confusion for the defense about what they might do on a, on a certain play you don't just line up and expect this is what they're going to do they're going to just try to overpower us uh mm-hmm. and we just have to you know to hold our hold our lanes and and then we'll stop this play and you can still overpower people you know but you don't have to do it every single play no you can you can throw something else out there i mean what's don't you get a defense on its heels more if they're a little off balance and surprised rather than just being overpowered yeah again you don't want to minimize overpowering because over the course of a game that plays in your favor and uh and that is and that's a very that's a sound and also a conservative philosophy of just grind them if you have superior talent and at the end of the game that superior talent will rise rise to the top and usually your team does too and that's kind of been Garrett's formula and it's worked but you can you can incorporate a little bit more into it than just that too I think not every game has to be a physical and mental grind you know what I I, I think one of the biggest one of the biggest detriments to the Cowboys in recent years is how many games have they gone out and won thirty-five to ten? Mm-hmm, right. I mean, they're they're in a mental the and physical is, grind into yeah. the fourth quarter of every game, and and yeah, Dak is one of the best fourth quarter quarterbacks in this league as far as you know bringing his team back from uh, behind or a tie to win in the fourth quarter. 
Uh, I'm not sure anyone has better numbers than Dak over the last three years, but you don't want to always be in that position. And, and part of being in that position is if you play conservatively and run more than any other team in the league, the game's going to be closer. But you know what? If, if, if this defense gets some turnovers, if uh, this offense strikes early, you know, jump out to a, a 28-0 lead and then manage the game. And, uh, you know, that's really what they did in, in Elliott and, and Prescott's rookie season. They were able to j- jump out on teams 28-10 and then just manage the fourth quarter, and, and Elliott would have 15 carries in the fourth quarter and uh, milk the clock. And uh, then their defense would get turnovers. But if, if their defense would get some turnovers early and they could jump out and then um, – I just think the season is such a grind. As many games as you can get into the fourth quarter, and it doesn't have to be a grind, I just think that helps keep you fresher mentally and physically for the for the postseason. All right, speaking about that defense, we've talked all about offense so far. Uh, who's going to start at the other defensive end opposite Demarcus Lawrence? Well, early, I mean, it'll be Quinn when he gets back from a suspension. Mm-hmm. It'll either be Tog, I would say Tyron Crawford. It could be Taco Charlton. Um, Who had a surprisingly good camp. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and they will probably need to lean on him early. But but I think also Kerry Hyder had a very good camp, uh, the guy they signed from Detroit, free yeah. agent. He's going to be part of this mix. Um, and Lawrence, you know, this will be his first true work. Uh, this game so you would not anticipate he's going to be out there for 55 to 60 snaps like he normally would be Mm -hmm. so um, I think Taco Charlton is going to get some more time early here I think Kerry Hyder and uh, Dorrance Armstrong also will get some some extra time there Tristan Hill are you are are you standing behind the Cowboys taking him in the second round I I think Tristan Hill will be standing behind three other defensive tackles <laughs> early this season and will be getting minimal work based on what we've seen. Yeah. Um, he was – it's too early to say disappointing, but when you see a guy like Weiss, who they cut and then brought back to the practice squad, mm-hmm. making plays in preseason more than – Yeah, he had two sacks in the pick. last game. Yeah. And uh, – and, you know the the games I would watch Tristan Hill in the preseason. He just he wasn't getting much penetration at all. Uh, second team offensive you know guards were just swallowing him up and moving him out. <clears throat> now he played okay in the second half of the game against the Rams in um, in Hawaii, but then he came back here to Dallas and and he didn't he didn't make a statistical scratch. He played through three quarters of that Texans game and didn't have a sack or a uh or a uh, pressure. Yeah. So or or a tackle. So uh he just he's kind of gotten lost out there. You know, Marinelli says his he's still working and he has a good attitude about it, but his pad level is still just too high and mm-hmm. that's allowing that's allowing offensive linemen to engage him and, and stand him up. And, and, and that was kind of the complaint away. about him in, in college, among other things. And this yeah. is a, a case to me of maybe Rob Marinelli uh, 
talking everybody into drafting yeah. this guy just because he had some nice conversations with him on the phone, and, and then when he yeah. had to see him play, uh, I think they, maybe we tell Rogers to. Well, this is a Marinelli pick through and through, so I mean he's yeah. very invested in him. Yeah, you know, but but that doesn't mean he's going to play him if he doesn't deserve it. That just means he's going to be harder on him and yell oh, at him more I than he does other guys. So it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. I absolutely agree with that because that's one of those things. I'm sure that that Tristan Hill thought, "Hey, Rob Marinelli's going to be like my father figure here." It's like, yeah, I don't know what kind of father that you had, <laughs> but this this guy's going to be completely different. But yeah, I, I do. I do feel like – I think the question for me is, you know, when it came to that pick, how guys like Juan Thornhill play, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and and Rap plays, you know, and, and what they – the impact they make at safety. So, segue to safety. So, we saw Donovan Wilson, uh, the rookie out of A&M, play very well in training camp. Outstanding. And, and to win himself a, a, a position uh, or win a, a spot on the roster. Is he going to win himself a position at some point this season? Well, he has the uh, the ankle now. I, I would anticipate he won't even play against the Giants. Right. It could be a, a week or two thing. But um, we'll see as the season unfolds. I mean, he was making plays back there. Um, Jeff Heath has to play better than what he played last year. I, I don't think anyone's a threat to Xavier Woods at this point. I mm-hmm. think they're very happy with Xavier Woods, and they and they feel that, you know, maybe he can break out a little bit this year. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Um that that's their attitude. If they get some with the pressure they have in the in the front seven, um, they think he's a guy capable of of getting some of those turnovers for them that they haven't gotten. Um, still needs to do it, but I mean he's he's been one of their better playmakers on the back end already. But but it's at a minimal level when you look right. around the league. You know, I mean they, you know, big turnover guys for the Cowboys have like two or three interceptions in recent yeah. years. They need someone to jump up with six or seven, yeah. you know, and uh, and then on the other side to have like four or five, not, you know, one or two. Mm-hmm. Their big seasons are like three out of one guy and the other guy has gives you one or two. Yeah. You know, they got to get more there. But but uh, um, I think they they used Heath a little bit differently last year. And he he didn't hold up to it well. I, I think they'll go back and try to kind of put him in some of the same positions he was a, a couple of years ago. But again, having said all of this, the defense overall performed really well and it was one of the best mm-hmm. in the league. Yes, it was. And uh, and and they do like Keith, but um, I think Wilson has positioned himself. If if Heath is slow here, I think you'll see a. Uh, uh, a rotation of, of like a two series and one series thing once Wilson's healthy and and if Wilson continues to play like he did in in preseason uh, I could see him moving past Jeff Heath potentially yeah the corners you're going to have Cheeto Awuzie and Byron Jones and uh, Jordan Lewis uh, mixing in there as well and Brown yeah you know, and Brown and Brown and Lewis look outstanding in training camp and I thought Awuzie did too when he when he played so uh you know, the question is just Byron Jones has been out, but Byron Jones was a a lockdown, shut down corner last season. When you look at the numbers, yeah, he was. Now, didn't get a lot, it didn't get any what? Didn't, no, didn't get turned. Didn't force. And that, and that's to me, that's the issue about how much you pay him going forward. Mm-hmm. I think you're willing to give big money to a corner who gets you four to five interceptions a year on average. Are you willing to do that for a guy who gets you one, maybe mm-hmm. two interceptions a year? Right. 
Or do you just go, I spend the money elsewhere? Well, of course, then the question, too, was he, he performed so well and was so, and he did wrap up guys yeah. last year. So they, they were. And not to minimize that, he, he yeah. prevented a lot of plays, but yeah. how many plays did he make? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's to me, that's the difference in, a, in a, an elite corner and a very good corner. Yeah. And I think he's a very good corner and a Pro Bowl corner that was deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You'd like to see him make some plays. You know, it's a lot of, you know, I thought Skandrick was the same way. I thought Skandrick, when he was here, was one of the better slot corners in the league. But he prevented a lot of plays, but he didn't make a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what distinguishes those guys in, from a, a very good player to an elite player at the position. And that brings us to the linebackers, the strength of this uh, yeah. defense. Uh, maybe the, the best set of linebackers they've had here in, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years? Um, uh, that that group as a whole, uh, with Jalen Smith and uh, Sean Lee, and of course Leighton Vanderesh. Um, if they if they make their natural progression here, which you would expect them to do, uh, that's a very formidable group. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's not just those guys; it's how well I think Smith and Vanderesh specifically complement each other. Um. I'm leaving Sean Lee out of this conversation for the moment. I think he compliments anyone with his understanding. I mean, here, here's a guy, even when he was middle linebacker, was studying all three linebacker spots mm-hmm. on how you diagnose and play a play from each of those positions, even though he was only playing one. So, mm-hmm. I mean, he he's going to fit in and, and make it work and, and be cohesive at, at any spot. Uh, and, and this year he'll be at the strong side spot. But, you know, I think Jalen Smith is just so powerful – and it's so good north to south and really gives you a uh, a blitzing ability, um, can blow up a guy, uh, you know, running back on the line, but is also pretty good in coverage as well. But then you have Van Der Esch, whose side to side is just spectacular and is probably even better in coverage than Jalen Smith, which is saying something because Jalen Smith is really good in coverage. Yeah. And so they just um, – Neither the fact neither one of these guys has to come off the field, and you can go in your nickel packages and dime pack, and you have bigger players out there, is huge for this defense. It it's really gives them a, a leg up on a lot of defenses in this league. But but Jalen and 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 now you have three linebackers with you know with Lee is is still good in coverage as well. Not as good as he once was, but he's still capable in coverage. Um, yeah the. It, like linebacker, like a lot of positions, you, you've seen them trending. They're either like great in coverage and not real big hitters, or they're still really good against the run, but you have to take them out in coverage. Uh, you know, the Cowboys are, are, you can say blessed, or you can say through good drafting, whatever. They've identified two who are outstanding at both and just don't have to come off the field. And, and I think both of these guys really play off of each other really well. And they're early in their career, and that's only going to develop even more. All right, so uh, we're not going to talk about kickers and punters. No. I don't care about kickers and punters. Yeah, not until they, they start screwing until up. Until they mess up. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> uh, so if we're going to uh, – I think we've already gone on record about what our uh, predictions were. You said – what was uh, your win total this year? I think we matched on this. 11-5. and 11-5. and five. Yes, we did. Uh, and, and I'm saying uh, that they have to make it to the NFC Championship game for this to be considered a successful season. I agree with you completely because if anything short of that 
if they, let's say they get to the divisional round, which only eight teams get to, mm-hmm. which is you don't want to minimize that accomplishment. But that would be the fourth time in the last six years they've gotten to the divisional round and gotten no further. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not making progress. You've hit a ceiling. You're still not, the arrow is still not pointing up, as right. Jerry likes to say. The arrow has hit the top of the ceiling, and you need to look at some things. And that's what this year is going to be about. Yes, it will. All right, that's going to do it for our uh, Cowboys podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that. We've, we've been off for a little while, and now we're back. We're ready to go. We're rested. We're ready. David's been to Hawaii. He's had a great time there. You know, and, and, I've, and I've been to Arkansas. <laughs> I don't, Arkansas I don't, is nice. It is nice. We were out on the Lake Hamilton, and we did it's a little bit of Big Lake. Island, but yeah. Yeah, yeah they got nice Lake Hamilton's lakes very there. nice. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, we yeah. were out there. Got a couple of the kids up on skis who had not been yeah, on before. Nice. So, yeah, it was all very nice. We had a good time. And nobody drowned. So it was really big, really good. So for everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly episodes on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search the Ballsy with a Z podcast. Until next time, sports fans, we'll see you.